And so as the scripture has uh, already been read, I want to uh, title this sermon today, The Greatest of These. The Greatest of These. You know, the interesting part about this final uh, section of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13 is that uh, Paul is trying to uh, kind of sum up everything that he's been encouraging the Corinthian church to do. All of the different ways that he has been trying to help them course correct their approach to um, ministry. And, and, and one of the, the backdrops, I believe, of this entire text that uh, will help us frame it and understand it uh, better or differently um, is this concept of the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. Uh, the reality, brothers and sisters, for us is that we uh, live in the now and not yet. Well, what does that mean? It means that, that we are currently living in the, in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, that when Jesus Christ resurrected and we were, we were gifted with, uh, the Holy Spirit and the, and the ways that the Holy Spirit has all gifted us, has given us different gifts, the ability to teach and to preach and to speak in tongues and the gifts of hospitality and service and all of the different things that, um, Paul named in chapter 12. That the reality for us, brothers and sisters, is that though we have um, a glimpse of who uh, God is, that the glimpse that we have, that the picture that we have is incomplete. It's this reminder that whatever way we engage in it, uh, whatever way uh, we serve as believers, that we are, are living in a time where we have the revelation of God, we have the, the beginning of his kingdom and his kingdom's reign. Uh, we have been given gifts and blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. But with all that we have, all that we know is still falls short. That the fullness of all these things that we've experienced have yet to come. It is clear through the text and the way in which Paul wrote this letter that the reality of the perishable nature of the gifts um, that we uh, that, that 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 seem to be the centerpiece of the Corinthian confusion seem to escape them. That it seems like they have not realized that the things that they um, attained or that they are trying to attain are perishable. It seems that the Corinthian church treasured tongues and knowledge when love is the greatest gift of all. And so Paul um, is writing this letter and, and, and uses this uh, chapter 13 as this, this center point to kind of refocus or shift their focus, hopefully uh, that they would understand then that the most essential gift a church can possess is an abundance of love. And that everything else we do in this life will pass away. And that in the end, all that will be left is love. And if he can get them to understand this, if he can get them to um, have everything that they do be motivated by love, as he, as he shared in the first three verses, and if their expression of love is lived out the way uh, that he so eloquently wrote out from ver chapter, verses 4 to 7, then maybe the Corinthian church 
would be the church that God had called them to be in the first place. And so when we get to chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Uh, Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Brothers and sisters, the first thing that Paul establishes is that love is permanent. Love is permanent. He was he, he was trying to to course correct the attitude that the church had because it, it it seemed as if they cared more about the pursuit and the perfecting of perfecting of their gifts than they cared about the perfecting of love. And 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 if my ability to love um, is is the best gift that I have, maybe if I shift my focus to being able to be a better lover then the gifts that I have would be executed differently. If, if our lived experiences of love match the verbal actions that Paul describes, we realize that love is fail-proof. Uh, because love doesn't quit until it accomplishes what it was set out to do. Paul lifts up uh, 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 one of the things that I believe that he was more fond of, even the gift of prophecy. And so he lists a few things. He lists prophecies they will cease. He said, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So we, we understand that the Corinthian church, out of all of the different expressions of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that we are given, lifted up the ability to speak in tongues. But Paul is saying that eventually tongues will pass away. The, the, the Corinthian church also lifted up knowledge that those who were eloquent, eloquent, uh, those who had all knowledge, those who were um, intelligent, found place. But Paul is also saying that knowledge will pass away. And even prophecy, the prophetic word that we have, will all pass away. Because when we are at the feet of God, worshiping him in the end, when Jesus comes back to capture us all, what good will prophecy be? Because prophecy will have been fulfilled. What good will knowledge do us when we are in heaven praising our Lord? That, that, the, that the thing that is still pertinent in all of those spaces is love. And so it's this reminder that out of all of the things that we wish to attain, out of all of the things that we try to pursue, out of all of the things that, that gives us meaning and gives us drive, that love is the thing that is permanent. That love is the thing that stays. And so he, as he is beginning to wrap up this section of text, he starts out with this bold statement saying love never fails. 
Because if love is patient and love is kind, if love does not envy and does not boast, if it's not proud, if it doesn't dishonor others, if it's not self-seeking, if it's not easily angered, if it keeps no records of wrong, if it rejoices in the truth, if it always protects, if it always trusts, if it always hopes, if it always preserves, then love accomplishes what it sets out to do. No matter how long it takes, no matter how hard it gets, that when love is the motivation, then love will not fail. Paul is is trying to reshape their thought process by by helping them understand, like, listen, if, 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 if you really care about our God, if you really hope to serve Jesus, if you really want to spread the good news of the gospel, then do it with love. Understand what it means to love because love will be the thing that helps move the word of God through the world. Because all of the tools that we have decided to lift up have their limits. But love doesn't. That in a world where things seem to come and go, where fads come and go, where trends come and go, where people come and go, where where relationships come and go, love is permanent. He hoped that the Corinthian church would see that. He goes on to verse 9 and says this. It says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. He goes on to say, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, fully even as I am fully known. When we look at uh, the word perfect when when we talk about when when the perfect comes depending on what text you're looking at when in the in uh, in the in NIV it says when the completeness comes it, the, the the word complete finds um its meaning in describing uh, uh the completion of God's mission in the world it, it, it finds its its meaning in the understanding that the, the state that we find ourselves in right now is nowhere near uh, what God intends it to be. That as we that as we ask ourselves these theoretical questions, why do bad things happen in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does it seem like evil prevails? Well, the realization, brothers and sisters, is that we have not reached the fullness of the kingdom of God, that we are still incomplete. And so love then in its fullness brings about a completion. And so Paul uses these three different contrasts to help uh, uh, the Corinthian church understand even more deeply how incomplete 
We are. When he says, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part, it's the realization that even the gift of prophecy, even the things that we prophesy, the, the prophetic words that we hear, um, are still uh, uh, fall short of full understanding of who God is. That even the, the greatest, most uh, uh, lifted up gifts fall short in their understanding of God. And so even as we live our expressions of faith, even as we attempt to do life and attempt to do uh, this thing we call Christianity together, our best expressions of that still fall incomplete because we don't even have a full picture of who God is. It reminds me of the gospel writer John uh, when he said about Jesus that there wouldn't be enough uh, 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 paper in the world to write down all the things that Jesus did while he was alive. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we, 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 we have an incomplete picture. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, uh, put the ways of childhood behind me, further illustrating to them the, 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 the fact that there was more maturing for them to do, that there was, there was more to come. And he likened it to the process of a child becoming a man, reminding us once again that we don't know everything that there is to know. That even with the, the, the density of scripture and all of the things that we learn as we read and all of the revelation, revelation that we get when we study and pray, that even the mutual discernment of the body of Christ it, at its best still falls short. It says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then shall we see face to face. The, the, the... The, the imagery that I am reminded of is, is when Moses was able to, to, to hear directly from God. He was able uh, to be in the presence of, of, of God. And as he got directives from God, he, he got them directly. But even now, as we, as we hear, as we study, as we pray, that our, that our approach and ability to hear from God is, is likened to the reflection of a mirror that is dim as it is compared to what it will be to be face to face with our Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, what that, what that makes me think about is that if, if Scripture is telling us then that our knowledge is incomplete, that, that, that our prophecy is incomplete, that our gifts are incomplete, that, that all of these things that we, that, we, that we try to attain, like the Corinthian church, are incomplete. How do we make definitive statements as if we know everything there is to know? And then allow those the definitive statements to guide the things we do. 
And this takes us back to last week when we understand then that, that our approach to faith should not be arrogant. Our approach to faith should not be one of boasting because the realization is that no matter how much we study or how much we think we know, that even those things fall short. So we must continue to be humble in our approach. Humble in the way that we that we love each other, humble in the way that we live, humble in the way that we do this thing called life and do this thing called faith. Because brothers and sisters, even what we know is not complete. And so Paul has 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 so eloquently illustrated the the permanence of love and the 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 reminder that that love will not even reach its completeness until Jesus Christ comes again. Re, re, reminding them then that love should be the guide for everything that they do. But lastly, he says this. This verse that is quoted so much, he goes on to say, and now these, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The reality for us, brothers and sisters, that all of the things that we can attain. The most powerful thing that we can have is an ability to love. And love our brothers and sisters the way that God loved us. Love is the the greatest gift. Love is far superior as you see at the end of chapter 12 as Paul lists all of the different gifts. He, He ends it by saying, but let me show you a better way. He, he, he brings that concept full circle here in verse 13 by uh, very uh, distinctly pronouncing that out of all of the gifts and out of all of the things that we use to maintain ourselves in this time, that the greatest thing that we can have is love. Because the realization, brothers and sisters, is one day... Hope or the necessity of hope will cease. Because if my hope is built on Jesus Christ and righteousness, what need is there for hope when he returns? Because all that I have hoped for, all that I have have built on has been fulfilled in his return. And so, yes, hope uh, uh, is, is, is powerful now. Hope is what keeps us going now. But in the end, hope will cease. It says, it says faith. We, we, we celebrate faith and faithfulness. Scripture tells us that, that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Our faith is what keeps us going when we, when we, when we hope in the resurrection and we hope, uh, in Jesus Christ, but we don't always see his presence. 
Our faith is a part of who we are. But what Paul is saying that in the end, when Jesus Christ returns, when the now and not yet becomes just our now, that faith and the necessity of faith will cease. Because what's the purpose of faith? When the person that we have faith in comes to return. And and, and so he says the greatest of these is love because love is eternal. It was God's eternal love for us that, 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 that caused him to send his son Jesus Christ for us. And it's God's eternal love for us that will send his son again to, to, to capture us and reclaim us for eternity. And it is our love for him that will be our motivation as we worship him in the end. And so all that is left is love. The reason why love then is the greatest gift is because essentially all of the things that we strive for will pass away except for love. And so love then needs to be the, the, the foundation of everything that we do because when the foundation that we have is centered on Christ's love, then no matter what comes our way, we know the things that we strive for will not fail. But I want to pose this thought or this reality that in many ways, like the Corinthian church, brothers and sisters, we fail to love. We say it. We we talk often about how much we love our brothers and sisters. We talk about the gospel and the, the good news, but as my, my good friend, uh, Reverend Gail Song Bantam would say, uh, if the good news isn't good for everybody, is it really good news? If, 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 if the love that God uh, called us to have for our brothers and sisters has its limits, if, if, if people can't feel it, is it really God-centered love? We find ourselves in, in moments and in times where we get caught up in the philosophy and things like that. We always want to talk about sin and, and right doctrine. But it's interesting, again, that when Jesus was challenged about doctrine and he was challenged about the commandments, that his response was the greatest commandment was to love God and love your neighbors as yourself. What, what, what place is right doctrine without love? It made me think about this. Uh, there's a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And in this book, he asserts uh, that there are five main types of love. There's, there's quality time, there's acts of service, there's gift giving, there's words of affirmation, there's physical touch. But what he states is the the biggest problem that many of us have in our relationships is that we often show love the way that we receive it. We show love in ways that are more comfortable to us. 
And there tends to be a disconnect because if we, we if we are trying to to give quality time to a person who uh, needs words of affirmation, that there is a disconnect. I believe that part of what we should take from this text today um, is realizing that the love that we show for our brothers and sisters means that we need to adapt how we love in a way that reaches those who don't know the love of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us when we are tempted to say all lives matter? When we hear our brothers and sisters crying and screaming for justice saying black lives matter. Does it mean that our love for them means that we we may not disagree or understand the cry in and of itself. But as we love that community and our community like God calls us to. That our words of affirmation cause us to join in the chorus. When our Asian American brothers and sisters are crying out, are we able to stand in solidarity? Do, 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 does our, does our heart break when we think about the continued detainment of our Latino brothers and sisters in these camps? What does it mean to love them? What, what, what does active service look like? What does it mean that our LGBTQ brothers and sisters don't feel comfortable enough coming to the church? We, we, we talk about, uh, uh, we, we say, oh, we, we, we love them. We say things like, love the sinner, uh, hate the sin. But brothers and sisters, if the love that we show keeps them from coming into the house of God to hear the word of God and being in relationship with the people of God, are we really loving? And then, brothers and sisters, I I think about fellow pastors and leaders, folks who are in charge of the discipleship of thousands whose whose faulty uh, self-centered theology uh, even gives them the audacity to say that maybe we should consider slavery a blessing and wonder what that means to the hearts and minds of people who don't know Jesus. But here, religious leaders proclaim that one of the most atrocious things that has ever happened in our world was a blessing. As, 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 as my heart goes out to all of the folks who have not felt uh, that transforming love of Jesus Christ, I wonder if it's because we are too busy pursuing things that are not centered in God's love. I, I wonder as we talk about the declining church in America... Is it because love has left the building? And I'm burdened. Because surely, as God's word proclaims that we are all image bearers, 
then we have a responsibility to act in love to everyone that we come in contact with. So while Paul says that love is a superior gift, because what good is a great sermon without love? What, what good is a prophetic word without love? What good is the ability to pray and bring down fire from heaven if it's not filled and inspired by love? What good is doctrine if it's not centered on the love of Jesus Christ? What good is anything that we do without love? And so Paul, as he finishes up, this letter, what he wants them to understand that, that Paul's desire is not to convince them that their gifts are useless or to abandon their gifts. What he is hoping, um, because these gifts are essential to the body of Christ, they are part of how the body functions and thrives. What Paul is doing and what Paul is saying that these gifts connected with, undergirded with, having a foundation in love makes them most effective. Because Christ-centered love is a thing that gives the gifts power. So if there's anything, brothers and sisters, that we can strive to attain, if there's anything that we can strive to do, is to perfect our ability to love. It won't mean that we'll always agree. It won't mean that it will always be good times. But I'd rather be known as a church full of people that love like Christ love to be known for anything else. What good is a bunch of gifts without love? And so Paul says this. He says, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. As we worship and as we live in this broken world, of folks who have yet to uh, have a life-transforming opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. Our prayer should be that we love and that we love so well that people feel the presence of Jesus when they interact with us. The greatest of these is love. Amen.
13 35 says uh, by this all men will know that you are Christians by the way that you love one another in our imperfect knowledge in our imperfect gifts and the realization uh, that things won't come to complete fullness until the return of Christ may we be known in all of our imperfections by the way that we love one another go in peace go in love serve our Lord Amen